Again, I just want to say welcome and thanks for being here. Um, we are going to start with the lighting of the Advent candle. And so we'll read from the book of Isaiah. And there's a little bit of context in the same as last week. I want to provide the Old Testament scripture as a foundation for reading the New Testament scripture that we'll read as well this morning. So please try to make the, some of these connections in the imagery that you'll hear um, as we focus on what it means to be a people of peace this morning. From the book of Isaiah. Um, probably some important context to know because the imagery is so rich in this particular passage is just leading up to this moment in Isaiah, there is talk of um, the Lord's judgment and of what it means to be stripped away of everything. And the image that is used um, in particular for uh, the people of Israel and as well as for the Assyrians who were sort of ruling over um, the areas in which the Israelites lived um, was uh, clear cutting a forest so that every tree would be cut down. And if you've seen strip mines or if you've seen quarries or if you've seen some uh, of the deforestation that happens across the globe, it's this very desolate scene in which um, everything looks destroyed. So if it's hot, nothing can grow because it withers without shade. And if it rains, things get washed away. And so it really doesn't matter environmentally what happens once deforestation happens because it is um, the habitat, the, the thing that allowed everything else to thrive had been stripped away. Does that, does that make sense in terms of imagery about, about clear, clear cutting a forest? Okay. So then we have this particular passage. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from their roots. The Lord's spirit will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of planning and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. The one who will come will delight in fearing the Lord, and they will not judge by appearances, nor decide by hearsay. They will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. They will strike the violent with the rod of their mouth by the breach of their lips. The wicked will be wiped away. Righteousness will be the belt around the hip of the Messiah and faithfulness a belt around their waist. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. And a lion will eat straw like an ox. One who is a nursing child will play over a snake's hole. And toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They will not worry because there will be no harm or destruction anywhere on the holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord just as the water covers the sea. And on that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a signal to all. The nations will seek it out, and the dwelling there will be in the glory of the Lord. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> as we 
come to this second Sunday of Advent, there's just a couple of pieces I want to pull out of this particular passage. Again, knowing that we're about to read uh, about the coming of the Messiah and what it means to have Jesus living among us. <clears throat> the first is this image of a branch shooting up out of the stump. And um, I think, again, when you have this image of a clear-cut forest that's desolate, that is barren, that none of these other animals would be able to survive in, to have a shoot spring up in the forest is a really hopeful image. And so it pulls forward some of the themes from last week of what it means for us to be people who are not only waiting, um, not with sort of the existential angst of waiting for Godot, where there is no one else coming, but we wait and we anticipate what it means for God to be among us. And this shoot rising from the, the stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, king of Israel. Um, and so we immediately have not only um, this sort of very hopeful image, but it's rooted in their history. And it's rooted in a time of um, victory. It's rooted in a time um, in which it was very clear that God was near and present and bringing about um, a fruitfulness in the community. So we have that particular image to carry forward with us. <clears throat> we also have this very um, different way. Uh, last week we talked about bifocals, about when you have hope, you can see things as they are, but you can also see things as they should be or will be. Um, and so we have this sort of bifocal lens, again, applied in this particular passage. When it talks about the one who is coming, the Messiah, to come, will not judge by the standards that we use. And some of these standards are very familiar to us. He will not judge by appearances. They will not judge by financial status or by political power. They will judge by righteousness. And that's such a challenge, I think, for us because there's so many other ways of looking at our neighbors um, or of looking at our political leaders or of looking at the nations around the world that have nothing to do with righteousness. It's really about what can they do for me? How much can I gain? What status is there if I'm friends with this person? Rather than are they good and holy? Are they just? Do they go about their day as peacemakers? And so there's already this not only hopeful shoot growing out of the stump, but there's this reframing that this hope is in some ways um, familiar. We all are familiar with the righteousness of God, but to live in that framework, to live with those lenses on as our primary way of seeing the world. And then we have this third image of um, predatory animals living with prey. And um, I was listening to some uh, commentary this week, and really one of the beautiful bridges that they made in this particular passage was how easy it often is, especially for those of us who take up the banner of righteousness, to say all of these predators clearly need to stop eating all of the prey. And one of the things that the commentary was pointing out, or that the commentarians were pointing out, was that there's also this opportunity for those of us who have felt 
um, abandoned or uh, afraid or lost, that there's also this radical transformation of no longer living with fear or anxiety or distress. Um, and so there's sort of two movements that happen. There is both the laying down of sort of this forceful power uh, on the part of the bear or the leopard or the lion or the snake. And there's this raising up of the peaceful ones, right? The ox and the child and um, the lamb. Things that we would never associate with what it means to be led by, that they are equals and um, living uh, together in peace. And so as we read the gospel passage this morning, we have all of this really rich imagery that's drawn from the history that says God has been present, God is near, and God is transforming the world. And so as we wait as the people of God, and as we light this particular candle this morning, we'll light the candle of hope, and we also light the candle of peace, knowing that it is God's presence that can help us to transform into um, a place in which even when things look desolate, there is a, a, a new life that is springing forth. That even when um, some of our circumstances um, may be um, calling us into a different framework of being, one that is judged by how much money you have or how much status or power um, you have, that there is a way of looking at the world through a righteous lens. And then also that there is a way of being at peace. Um, there is the laying down, I, I think of the image of Jesus in the garden when he's being arrested and he's saying, lay down your sword. This is not the way forward. And he embraces enemies as friends. And so we come to the candles today, remembering that we live with a God who is coming, who has come, and who will come again. So we light the candle of peace today. Um, and we remember that as we look across our lives in the world, even when it might feel impossible, that we are a church that is concerned with peacemaking in the world. We want to show that we follow the Prince of Peace, one who can bring order out of chaos and rest out of labor. And so we light the candle of hope and of peace today, remembering that this is the type of God that we follow. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful that you do not run away from the hardest parts of our lives, from the desolate seasons, but you love us enough to be with us through everything. Help us to find peace even in the midst of the messiness. Teach us that when we find peace, that we might rest there. Allow us to be peacemakers in the world. Show us what it means to share that peace with people around us so that they too might know your peace. Amen. Um, now we'll come to the gospel reading. Um, 
And we'll read from the book of Matthew. Um, we'll start in chapter 3, verse 1, for those who want to read along. Um, and I'll start now. We're going to read, uh, I believe, the first 12 verses. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the desert of Judea, announcing, Change your hearts. Change your lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair, and with a leather belt around his waist, his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all of the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I, and I am not worthy to carry their sandals. For the one who comes will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork will be in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather the wheat into the granary. But the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, like last week, we have some pretty horrible imagery. Um, horrible is maybe not the right word. Terrible is probably the right word. We have this very destructive imagery. Um, but again, I wanna pull from the prophet Isaiah, which John the Baptist is also doing, um, to remind us that this is not all bad news. We have a lot of overlapping imagery here. The ax is at the root of the tree. This is a familiar story. This is, um, I used uh, the example of me walking up the stairs last week and the children sort of hearing that. And depending on whether or not they're behaving properly or they're misbehaving, that changes the way that the coming of the parental unit is going to be understood, right? If you're doing what you ought to do and the impending presence of a parent is at your door, you're either afraid or you're not afraid. And so we, again, we have this imagery, and if you are righteous and a fruit-bearing tree, then it's okay that someone comes through with an ax. I don't know if you've ever <clears throat> driven down uh, Interstate 5, but there are orchards and orchards of almonds or of peaches or um, of all kinds, there's all kinds of things, uh, depending on which direction you drive in California. Um, and there are seasons where the trees in a particular field have stopped producing fruit. They are no longer good um, for the place where they live or for 
the farmer. And so there will be seasons where it is very clear that the ax is at the root of the orchard. And that's the, the image that happens in every field, every so often. And so I think there's, because of the urgency of this particular passage, sometimes it can, again, feel really scary. But it would be as familiar to an agrarian population as the orchards being turned over in the Central Valley. It is something that needs to happen from time to time. And so as we come to this particular season, I want to remind us that even though there is some pretty desperate imagery here, that it's a good reminder for us that there are probably parts of our lives that could do with a little bit of axe at the root of the tree. This particular passage also really challenges, challenges us about the scale with which some of this transformation should happen. This particular passage talks about both uh, the individual animals that might lie down together, but it also talks about the forest of nations and of whole people groups. And so there's an opportunity for us to imagine both on the individual or the personal level, what it means to be um, waiting upon a righteous return and for things to be made right, but it also gives us the opportunity to think bigger and outside of ourselves. What does it mean for us personally to be transformed? What does it mean for our community to be transformed? What does it mean for us nationally to have this vision of righteousness? What does it mean for us to apply the same sort of vision to what goes on globally? And so this particular passage, I think, um, at least for us, is an opportunity to think through the ways in which we've done something as simple as sending shoeboxes to kids, right? Very simple, it's an act of recognition that people around the world have value and needs and that some people can also help to pair what they have with those needs. It's a very beautiful image of what it means to seek peace in this season. I think of something um, as simple as um, Doctors Without Borders, which has a more global focus. Wherever there is a need, regardless of the people's ability to pay, there will be people who can, with expert knowledge, attend to the needs of those who are hurting. And so I would encourage us as a community of faith to think on multiple levels about what it means for us to be a renewed people for us to be open to the idea that God, as we think about what it means to receive the Messiah in this season, that God might be calling us forth to not only seek peace in our own personal lives, which is good to do and part of this season, but also to think about the layers that we participate in. This particular community of Silicon Valley is one in which it is okay it is okay to dream bigger than what happens in your garage, right? That what happens in your home might actually, could potentially transform the way that people communicate globally, or the way that we do work, or the way that uh, farmers farm. We live in a place where it is both um, personal and global. 
And that, I think, is a real benefit in the way that we can apply some of our context and some of our experiences to this particular passage. That when we think about what it means to be renewed, that we can think about it on multiple levels. That we can think about Christ coming and bringing peace to us, Christ coming and empowering us to bring peace to others, and Christ coming and empowering the world to live at peace because of what they see in us. The last thing I think I want to point out about this particular passage is that it's really political. Um, both the Isaiah passage and the Matthew passage are really talking about um, who's in charge and by what rules we live. And oftentimes I think um, in the Christmas season we um, forget that the gospel is very political. I don't mean this in terms of Republican and Democratic. Um, I mean this in the sense that it involves real people, that politics is about the way that we live together, and that the kingdom of God is really just about how we live together. And so, again, I think I say this pretty often, but this has been a place where I have seen, I've known you all for at least a decade, um, but I have seen some really beautiful examples of people who care for each other. You all have shown up for each other in some really significant ways. Um, sometimes it's simple. I think the very maybe first time I met Pastor Tim, um, he walked me through uh, a list of scriptures that he had with him um, that was about how to minister to people in particular um, situations, like if you were to do a hospital visit. Um, and he sort of mentored a lot of my pastoral practices now. That, um, And it was just him being who he was. Um, but he was kind and generous and did not feel like, I have so much experience. You should just learn from me. He was just a beautiful example of what it means to be a pastoral presence. You all have walked with each other through some really hard seasons um, with sick family members, with aging parents, with children in transition, with families coming and going. Um, and so I, I would also offer this as an opportunity as we think about what this next season as a church might mean for us to also, like these particular passages, scrape through your memory. Remember what it means as a church to be there for each other and to seek peace on behalf of those literally sitting next to you. To say it does not need to be that only the money that you've earned is what will take care of you. That is one way that people go about and say that's your problem. And if you don't have the resources to take care of yourself, you're on your own. This is a very neighborly church. This is a very peace-seeking community. And I would encourage you that as we think about what this next season as a church can look like, that you maybe put hope and peacekeeping and peacemaking at the forefront of that 
imagination for what the next season of this church could be. That you all continue to remember that a, a shoot can come from a stump. And new life can be brought forth out of something that feels like it might be clear-cut. In which you might look around and say, okay, well, what now? That as we think about peacemaking, I think about, I can look around this room and every one of you has stories that I can remember. And I'm not with you as much as you are with you. But this is a beautiful place. And so I come this morning with hope and gratitude and thanks. And as I read these particular passage, passages, again, while there is this impending sort of imagery of doom, it is not meant for the righteous. And there are many righteous deeds that are done in this place. And so I hope that as we read these passages, you can settle in. That these aren't frightful images for you. That these are images that you can rest in. One is coming who can also see with righteous lenses. Who can also look out upon this congregation and this community and see that there are still things that need to be made right. It is not without work to be done or without things that need to be transformed. But it is with the presence of God leading. And the things that aren't right, we can let go of. We can say, great, throw it into the fire and let it keep us warm. It's okay for things that don't belong here, for the wheat to stay and for the chaff to be burned. It is okay for righteous judgment to settle in here, in our personal lives, in our community, and globally.